you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Ruth. This one's uh, letting me down a little bit, but that's okay. I'll speak up. Book of Ruth, chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the entire chapter this morning. We're in the fourth week of our sermon through series through the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth's a little love story, and what Ruth so far has been about is been about uh, a couple of things that we'll, we'll previously go over. And so what we've got is we've got irony and talking. And so the irony of these people's names, we've got um, a guy called Kilion, which means sickness, and Kilion will eventually end up dying and kind of funny. Um, his brother, his name is Jeff, and he ends up dying, and that's kind of funny. Uh, so we've got irony, but then we've also got a large amount of talking over uh, 75% of this book is dialogue in nature, which is different from most books of Scripture. Most Scripture is narrative uh, telling of a story, but this is actually the narrator looking in on a couple of people having a conversation. And you'll notice that in large part, what we're going to be dealing with today is a conversation. And then last week, we looked at the term kinsman redeemer, which we're going to look at again today because it comes up entirely in today's sermon. So if you have your Bibles, uh, this is Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is what God's Word says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that you may be well, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. In this couple of verses, there are some life lessons that I believe we should all learn, uh, um, and it is, uh, uh, it's not a matter of salvation. However, I believe it's entirely biblical that we take a shower. Okay? Uh, Naomi says to Ruth, anoint yourself with oil, clean yourself up, get yourself looking and smelling good. Now, this is important because uh, both Ruth and Naomi were coming out of a period of mourning. In that period of mourning, they would have adorned themselves with sackcloth and ashes. They wouldn't have kept up their appearances. And so remembering that uh, uh, Boaz looked at Ruth and said, man, she's attractive and I want to go near her and, 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 and know about her and know who she is and what she's about. In that sort of unattractive uh, grieving state, now Naomi is saying, you know what, now our, our mourning has to be over. Spruce yourself up a bit. She says, anoint yourself with water, uh, with oil rather. Um, I, I interpret that simply as she's taking a shower is biblical. It's right here in Scripture. All right, so moving, moving. I just I wanted to point that out that I believe the Lord is telling me that some of you need to shower more often. No names. If you're not showering once a day, you're not following Scripture. Now, <clears throat> the most important part of the story is, is, is identifying what's happening here. So where is Boaz right now? What did he just drink? Boaz is in a certain place. He's at the threshing floor, right? That's, that's really important because that means that the famine is over. What we read in Ruth chapter 1 was that there was a famine throughout the land of Israel. And so the, uh, the city of Bethlehem where they lived, Bethlehem means house of bread, was going through a famine, so there was no bread in the house. And so uh, he took his family and with Naomi uh, and, and his sons over to the land of Moab. That's where they met Ruth, who was a Moabite woman. Uh, and so now Boaz is at the threshing floor, which means that the, the, um, the famine is over. Now, what's really important is in the nation of Israel, what they uh, interpreted famine to mean was that the Lord was punishing them. 
uh, and, and they get this from a specific scripture verse. Uh, in fact, it's from uh, Leviticus 26, 18 through 19. It says this, uh, in spite of this, you will not listen. This is God speaking to the Israelites. And if, and if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sin, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. What God is saying, what he says to the Israelites is, I'm going to give you a chance to come back. I'm going to give you a chance to repent. And then I'm going to give you another chance and another chance and another chance. And if at the end of that you still don't repent, I'm going to make it so the heavens shut their mouth. He uses the phrase here, the heavens like iron. Can you get water through iron, through solid plate of iron? No, no water is coming down. He's going to make the earth like bronze. Can you stow food into a bronze metal plate? You can't. So what the Lord is saying is if you disobey me, if you repeatedly, repeatedly disobey my commandments, I am going to make a famine on the land to get your attention. And what we read actually in the last line of the book of Judges, so you've got to remember that this story of Ruth is part of the story of Judges. It falls straight in after it. In uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 25, it says that there was no king in the land of Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, not what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so in that state of sin, the nation of Israel uh, were then punished with this famine, famine, and then Imelech, whose name means God is my king, decides he's not going to obey God and stay in Israel and do what he's supposed to do and bring the nation back to the, the worship of the one true God. Instead, he's going to move his family into Moab, into a city, a state uh, of filled with pagan idolaters, and it's there that he's going to stop his family from dying. And what happens to his family? They all die. And what happens to him? He dies. And so now, Boaz is on the threshing floor, which means that the famine is over, and the famine is only going to be over if the nation is coming back to, to, to the Lord. They're coming back into that right state and that right relationship with God. And what's really interesting about this is it shows that in life there are seasons. There are seasons where things go wrong, things go bad, and it's not always the Lord punishing you for being a, a, a sinner or, or you know, not doing what you're supposed to do. Sometimes there are just bad seasons, but those seasons are always only for that season. There are bad times in your life where you're going to go through hardships, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through persecution. But what's fascinating about Scripture is all of these situations are only seasonal. It's only for a short period of time. It's the same with relationships. Uh, there is a, a, an actor called Tyler Perry who has a character called Medea, and I know what some of you are thinking. He's going to quote Medea in his sermon. Oh, yes, I am. Medea, six foot seven, African-American lady, big lump. She's very beautiful. They're good people. There are some people that God put into your life for a season, and there are some who God has put into your life permanently, and the most damage that you can do into your soul is to miss those two aspects. There are some people in your life for a season. You're there to teach you a certain uh, a certain lesson. They're there to point you in a certain direction, but because that makes you feel comfortable, it makes you feel good, you latch onto those people and you drag the whispers out of that season, and that actually damages because they were only meant for that season. It's the same 
here in this scripture, there is a season that we're going through now that season is over. There is punishment that now they come back into the ways that the Lord wants them to behave. And so that punishment is over. Verse 4, this is Naomi still talking with Ruth. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you will do, I will, or all that you say, I will do. Now, a couple of things that you need to know. This is not dating 101. I'm not teaching you how to get a spouse. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, uh, Naomi's advice is actually, um, let me put it this way. This is not advice that I give to my niece, right? My niece comes up to me and says, Uncle Jonathan, I'm interested in, in that man over there. First, I would say, let me go buy a shotgun. And then let me have a conversation with that young gentleman. And then he's going to very politely tell you that you're not allowed to start dating until you're at least 46. That's how that conversation would go. I would not be like Naomi. I wouldn't tell my niece to go into a, uh, a certain threshing floor after the man had been drinking and after he had been in there and he's lying down. I wouldn't say go in there and start uncovering his body parts. That's not, that's not advice I would give. And so what you need to know is that some scripture is prescriptive and some is descriptive. Now, I, I want to take a moment to, to mention, uh, to essentially tell you what this means. If you are sick and you go to the doctor, the doctor says, I need to prescribe you antibiotics. He's given you a set of instructions for you to follow, right? That's what prescriptive means. So some scripture is prescriptive. That is, it's telling you how you should live, how you should relate to people, how you should act, how you should interact, and how you should react to situations. Some scripture is like that. When Jesus told people uh, as an example that they needed to be equally yoked, and I'm bringing that up as an example because we'll use it a little later on, when Jesus said to people that you need to be equally yoked, that was prescriptive. He was giving instructions for you to follow. Some scripture, however, is descriptive in as much as it describes a situation that is happening, not necessarily for emulation. Okay? So there is a scripture in, in the New Testament that says this, and Judas went and hung himself. You don't open that scripture, read it, and say, well, I guess all of scripture is prescriptive, and I need to go outside and hang myself, right? If you do, you need to talk to me after the service. We need to have a little conversation about how to interpret biblical scripture. And so some is prescriptive and some is descriptive. I believe in this particular instance that what Naomi is doing is descriptive, not prescriptive. I believe that she is uh, saying in a situation that was good for her, good for Ruth, that was going to advance their welfare and their well-being under uh, the law of God. However, it's not necessarily for you and I to engage in. Again, this is not dating 101. On top of this, Naomi's counsel is a little scary. Here's why. Boaz is in the threshing room. After a hard day's work, and Scripture says that he has been eating and drinking. Now, when it says drinking, no heart attacks from Will Tide up at this. It means alcoholism. It means he had a couple of beers at the end of the day after a hard day's work. There is nothing in Scripture that says drinking alcohol is sinful. What it says is if you drink alcohol in excess and you lose control of your body, then it's sinful. It doesn't say that drinking alcohol is sinful. It says if you cause a brother or sister in the Lord to stumble because of it, it's sinful. Do you, do you track the difference here? And so Boaz isn't sinning by having, having a couple of beers at the end of the day. However, he still may be, may be in an ameliorated state. And so Naomi's 
counsel to use is go in, uncover his feet while he's in this state, and that invites him to be a little bit scared. We never know how someone is going to react after they've been drinking. And so this is what happened. So this is Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And I want to be really clear here. This is what I believe kept Ruth safe, the fact that she did as she was commanded. Now, Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi is not God. However, in this story, doing as you are told is a key point, And she does all that Naomi has commanded her. So I believe that that is what kept her safe. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry. Now, how does your heart get merry? Hey, please understand that he didn't sit down and watch a Hallmark special, right? It's important to know that this is part of the story because it's part of their culture. He went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. I don't know how comfortable that would be, but he did. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, there's a couple of times in Scripture where something like this happens, and this is the only one that's actually, like, is believable. Um, There's a story in the book of Exodus when uh, Moses comes down the mountain and he finds Aaron, his brother, has taken all of the gold from the children of Israel, melted it down, and, and created an idol. And I'm not even joking, Aaron turns to Moses and says, well, they gave me this gold, I put it into the fire, and behold, out came a cloud. Right? It's not believable, right? All right, this, this is the type of thing that my nephew tries to get away with. Um, when he comes in and I say, you know, why, why are there crayons all over the floor? Why is there play And he's just like, fell off the computer. Oh, by themselves, hey, Roman. No. But here, you sort of, you sort of understand that he, he's gone to bed. He's, uh, he was having a good night's sleep. Something happened. He woke up, and he saw someone at the foot of his bed. Now, true or false, if you all went to sleep tonight in a dark room, alone, after having a drink, and you wake up at midnight, and there is someone at the foot of your bed, what's the first thing you do? Kick him. Draw an eye on the same level. You kick him in the face and you run. If you are married and you have a spouse, you kick the person in the face and run out of the room because you only have to be as fast, uh, faster than the slowest person in the room. Now, Boaz said, who are you? Good question, right? Good question. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She comes and bows her head, right? And I think this is important. If you are married, there is a way that you can enter the room if your spouse is asleep. And I am very upset that my wife is not here to hear the sermon today. I believe that the Lord has a message for her. who, when those children are taking a nap and someone like the neighbor starts doing something loud, you want to go out and slap your neighbor in a biblical way, but you want to go out and slap your neighbor and be like, I just got them to sleep, right? It's biblical. If you enter a room and someone is sleeping, you need to be quiet. Here's what's really interesting. Here's why when Boaz wakes up, he, he flips out and he says, who is there? In these days, prostitutes would go to 
Palestinian authorities. Women of ill repute or who had no other options, this is the only way they could make money, would take themselves to the threshing floor after a long day. The man had a couple of drinks. They sold grain so their, their purses were flush with coins. And they would go in and they would solicit those men. That's the only way that they could make money because once, uh, if you were a, a widow, that was the only way that you could survive was to prostitute yourself. That was what was facing uh, Naomi and Ruth at the beginning of this chapter. That's why Ruth goes and starts walking around the grain fields. And that's why the blessing of Boaz of giving her two weeks' worth of salary is such an important thing. And so Boaz, whose name means man of men, who is described as a righteous man, wakes up and finds a woman at the end of his bed. He freaks out because he is an honorable man and he doesn't want to engage in prostitution. It's another way that we know he's an honorable man. Right? There's never... Let me just put it this way. When you're reading scripture, there's always the story on top. There's always something deeper underneath that we need to get into the cultural situation to figure out why people act and react the way that they do. Here, Boaz, who is an honorable man, he is a good man. He's, he's one of the only men that is described in the Bible as honorable. He freaks out because there is someone at his feet. And she says to him, uh, put your weave over me. And we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, that this is a way of adopting a person. This is a way of showing a person that you're being welcomed into the family. This was simply her saying, I want to be redeemed. Verse 10, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, but you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Her not chasing after certain men, not wanting to get married just to anyone, just for the sake of it, has come to his attention. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So far as things coming up good. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Now, what you need to know is simply this. A kinsman redeemer is supposed to be a close relative. So if uh, a brother and a wife, and the brother dies, he is, she is supposed to be redeemed by the direct family of that man. Does that make sense? It's supposed to be an uncle. It's supposed to be a nephew. It's supposed to be someone close. We know through the genealogy that Boaz is not in that immediate family circle. So he is not supposed to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer. That's not his role. That's not his job. And what he says here is there is a redeemer nearer than I, which means that he does have a relative in that zone that is supposed to be redeeming Ruth. There's supposed to be a person there that is supposed to be taking care of Naomi and Ruth, but they're not doing what they're supposed to do. So in verse 13, he continues, he says, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz should not be the redeemer. It should not be up to him to fix the situation. It's not his responsibility. And here's one of the reasons why. In these particular uh, sets of customs, the land was tied to the lady. And so she would have inherited land when her husband died. Uh, should have, could have, we don't know if she did in her state of being poor and in her state of being in a place of famine. We don't know if she did. But 
she should have inherited the land of her husband, the man's wife. And what would happen is if you got then married to your kinsman redeemer, that land would then pass to him, giving him the opportunity to own that land. And so what Boaz is saying is that there's a cultural thing here that you have someone in that circle that could redeem you, that could be redeeming you, and I don't want to take away from his inheritance. I don't want to step in and take that person's blessing. And what's really important, I think, to the, a point that we can draw out of this is um, a, a, a point that we can, we can draw out of this particular passage is sometimes God gives you specifically you blessings in your life for you to do. You do something, you get blessed, and you can miss out on that blessing if you refuse to do the will of God. Okay? Um, my former call officer in Spokane, a man named Carl Smith, some of you know him, he's now with management. Uh, Colonel Smith uh, was fond of telling this story in his example. It's not mine, it's his. That he was walking through a grocery store in Spokane and he saw a person and he felt the, the, the will of the Lord telling him that he should go and evangelize to that person and tell him about the gospel. And in a moment of weakness, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. My relationship isn't good. I have a demons in the store. I'm not going to do it. And he steps himself out of the situation and doesn't do it. Two weeks later, he's going back to that same grocery store. He's shopping. He sees the same person. That person looks up, sees Colonel Smith, walks over to him and says, you'll never believe what happened two weeks ago. I was in this store and someone came up to me and shared the gospel and I became a Christian. And what Colonel Smith says is that blessing was because he stood. That blessing was the Lord telling him, if this is the moment his heart has been prepared, his steps have been prepared, this is the moment that I want this man saved and I have chosen you to be able to do it. And uh, Kyle, in that moment of fear, which is a human emotion, stepped out of the situation and that blessing went to someone else. There are specific blessings for you and you alone. Specific God has given you some gifts, abilities, and talents that are specific to you, not to anyone else. I can't sing like Giselle Peterson. I can quote, okay? I can't play the piano like Margie plays the piano. Those are gifts tied to God that God has blessed you with, and they need to use those to glorify his name and bring his people into the kingdom. And Boaz is saying, there's another relative closer who has that life, I'm not going to take a blessing away from someone else. What you need to know, general bit of story, is that in Ruth, Boaz is the picture of Jesus. And Ruth is the picture of the church. Jesus and the Christian church. So what, what Boaz says in fact, I wrote this down because I want to I wanna get this wording right. Jesus loves us not because he's obligated to, but because he's gracious and he's kind and he's affectionate and he's dependable. Listen, there is nothing inherently in you that makes you worthy of salvation. You've got, you got to be real careful on this point. I know we all like to be hippy-dippy lovey-dovey, but in this point, there is nothing inherent in you that makes you worthy of Christ dying on the cross for you. He died because he loves you. He doesn't have to, but he does. And in this way, Boaz is the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. He is an honorable man, a man of men. He's saying he's an honorable man, and he's 
completely different from everyone else in his society. He doesn't have to love Ruth. It's not his place to redeem Ruth. But he says, I'm going to step in and do it because I love you. Which is what Jesus does. He steps in and redeems us from the penalty of sin because he loves us. I have said it before. I will say it again. You are not all that in a bag of chips. All of it is grace. None of it is law. None of it is legality. None of it is obligation. Jesus didn't save you because he was obligated to. Jesus didn't save you because he was contractually agreed upon terms and conditions to do. Jesus saved you because he loved you. Amen? Some of you are being a little quiet and I don't like it. We continue. So Ruth laid down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. So this is still in the early parts of the morning. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And so Boaz lets people know that she came, but nothing's happened. And because he's an honorable man with a good reputation, people believe him. If he had been a sort of a, a, a floozy of a man, you know the type of man that I'm talking about, right? If he'd been a floozy of a man, people wouldn't have believed him. But because he was a good man, an upright man, an honorable man, a man that followed the will and the law of God, people believed him that nothing happened. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it onto, uh, on her and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. So she said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Guys, don't ever go to your mother-in-law's house Boaz is smart. Give a gift to the mother-in-law, but everything depends upon her opinion of you. Just saying. If I wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She knows that Boaz is an honorable man, a good man, a righteous man, and he's not just going to say, hey, I'll get it done, and then sit down and start playing the jester. That's not Boaz. Boaz is a man who says, I'm going to do something, and then I'm going to follow through on it. And it's important that when you make a commitment, you follow through on it. When you say, I'm going to do something, that you actually do something. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment the, the, the scene that we have when Ruth gets home. Naomi's probably up all night, right? She's sent her, her daughter-in-law, whom she loves, up into a spot. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know if she's going to make a turn alive. She doesn't know if she's going to give up her virtue. She doesn't know what's going on here. So I'm imagining that Naomi is freaking out. Naomi wakes up. Well, she's not home. This could either end really badly or this is going to go really well. Really good, really bad. That was an interesting counsel from Naomi. She believes Sarah. And she says to her daughter, how did you fare? How did you get on? There was a certain amount of faith that Naomi displayed when she sent the message. It might have been dangerous counsel. I might have think it was unwise counsel, but I believe that in this story, at this moment in time, Naomi was responding to what she thought was best for her daughter-in-law and best for their household. And if she trusted in God, that God was going to take care of her. Naomi knew the reputation of Boaz. She knew that he was a good man, an honorable man, a man after 
that the will of the Lord. So if you trusted that the Lord had done a good thing in you, would you trust him with that? Again, I'm not going to do this with my own eyes. could have said to Naomi, you're crazy. You're insane. I'm not going to to go and have people think that I'm prostitute. I'm not going to go into a dark room where a man's been drinking. I'm not going to, to, to uncover his sheet and try and make him propose marriage to me. Uh, he, he shouldn't redeem me. He doesn't have to redeem me. I don't need to do that. Uh, sometimes uh, Ruth could have said all of this to, Na- to Naomi, and she would have been right. She didn't have to do that. But Naomi, with the trust that she had of God in the back of her mind, said, you need to do this. He's a good man. He's a righteous man in every way. Again, for that. Sometimes that step of faith is what we need. Sometimes you can't see where the road goes. Uh, at our last commissioning to uh, the commissioner, when he was commissioning these cadets to become office, officers, he said this, that if you go to San Francisco, you can see one side of the Golden Gate Bridge, and as it goes, it disappears into fog, and you can't see the other side. And he trusts that there is another side, and that is what it is like walking with God. That you can't always see the destination. You can't always see where you're going. But if you trust in God, the other side of that bridge is firm. It does have a foundation. It is secure. You just can't see it. But sometimes, sometimes what we need to do is simply trust in God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time you've given us to come into your presence and to oh, to discuss your word. Lord, I pray that each one of us as we go from this place to know in our hearts that Jesus Christ is our example. That he is the person, the man, that stepped out of heaven onto earth with a simple mission to love us and to redeem us from our sins. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us has the renewal of our trust in God, in you. That even though we might not be able to see the other side of the bridge, that we can step out in faith, just as Naomi did, just as Ruth did, and just as Boaz did. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.